0: You'll take your Bibles this morning, please, again, to the Gospel of Luke. We're in the seventh chapter, and we'll be in the seventh chapter again next Sunday morning. There's a lot to cover in this particular chapter. We've looked at uh, Jesus' healing of the centurion servant there as we began the chapter, and then we looked last week at the Jesus' compassion on Women. There's two women that are affected here. The first first one had to do with her. her, She was a widow who lost her son, and they were carrying out carrying him to the uh, uh, sepulcher when uh, Jesus interrupted the party and raised the son and gave him back to his mother. And then we also have uh, this expression of loving gratitude that is expressed by a sinful woman on jesus there as he dined in the home of a pharisee and uh, that uh, jesus forgave them both he forgave the man a little because he had uh, neglected common courtesies but he forgave this woman much because her sins were great and she trusted Jesus Christ, she believed in him, and she went away forgiven. Jesus said, you are your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, this morning, we want to look at uh, John the Baptist. Compassion for a doubter. And my message here is broken up like this this morning. First of all, I want us to consider the role of John the Baptist in the kingdom of God. John the Baptist was called of God to prepare the way for Messiah and his kingdom to come. His ministry was the fulfillment of what was promised by God through the prophet Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. In chapter 3 and verse 1, we read, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Fulfilled in, in John the Baptist is proven by Jesus' own statement as he quoted this verse with respect to John. But also in the closing words, the very, in fact, the very last words of Malachi, the Lord again promised to send Elijah the prophet before that great and terrible day of the Lord. And we read here: Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers. This was the anticipation, or this was the hope. And lest, he says, I come and strike. In other words, I'm going to send him to preach repentance to you, so that if you will hear him, I will show mercy to you, and not come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. There in Malachi four, five, and six. Uh, is America in line for this uh, awful uh, decree of utter destruction? I, I I begin to wonder. Malachi's message then concerning the coming Messiah was uh, primarily then that of judgment. We we get. We have this idea that uh, they came in order to that, that get people saved. We want to get people saved and get their lives changed. Well, yes, that's that that's a desire of our hearts. But uh, the primary message of the Bible is repent for judgment is coming. Change your ways. Judgment's coming. It's evidenced by the fact that, that John said the axe is laid to the root of the tree in other words god's ready to cut it down repent and and bring forth fruits worthy of repentance so john then or jesus then confirms here that john's of john's ministry as foretold by as i said before citing malachi 3 1 in and right here in the text before us there in verse 27 behold i send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you and jesus also confirmed that john was the elijah whom god promised matthew eleven fourteen, dealing with the same subject he said john the baptist is elijah who is to come so he fulfills this you say well wait a minute it says Elijah how does John the Baptist be Elijah Elijah is symbolic prophets often use symbolism and what is the nature of the symbolism the symbolism is this Elijah was the first watchman of the kingdom under the Old Covenant God called Elijah to preach repentance to the nation then it was already divided in fact he spent most of his time he spent all of his time in the northern kingdom which went away completely but he preached to them repentance and called them to quit worshiping false gods to start trusting the god of heaven and to keep the covenant that he had made with them did they listen to elijah no No, they didn't listen to Elijah either. Now, God is going to send a second Elijah to them. He started back there at first, and and now he's going to send them another one. And this Elijah was going to do the same thing. He's going to call them to repentance before he executes his judgment upon them, which is called the day of the Lord, which actually happened there in 70 A.D with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And then, as we noted last week, after Jesus finished His instruction with the twelve apostles, He went, he went uh, on from there to teach and preach in their cities. In fact, what we're dealing with now are incidents that occurred during this period of Jesus going through the cities of Galilee, preaching and teaching the kingdom of God that's what they were to announce the kingdom of god is at hand And matthew recorded this also in in uh, chapter 11 verse 1 the occasion of this instruction then uh, was uh, the sermon on the Plain. so just before he goes out into the cities he he sets aside a time that he teaches them which we uh, saw back in chapter 6 here the city the Sermon on the Plain, and and it's also recorded in Matthew chapter 11. But if, when you read them, you say, they're not even talking about the same thing. What well, they are, but they chose two different avenues of subject matter. But the one thing that unites both of these passages is that which is found in Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. His followers would be persecuted. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. He's making a, a qualification here. Sometimes we do the things that, uh, that offend people. If if you offend people by your behavior, by your things, don't, don't blame it on Jesus. <laughs> but if you're a follower of Jesus and you're hated, it's on account of the Son of Man. So then, verse 23, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. But we need to learn to to see the perspective of things here. We may go through a period of very discouraging, troubling, heartbreak, trials, difficulty, but if we do it with trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He says your reward will be great in heaven. So, their fathers did so to the prophets. Listen to that. Prophets. So, and the question is how then do you respond? So, Matthew gives more details in chapter 10 about the nature of the resistance that the disciples would experience as they proclaimed the kingdom. Chapter 10 and verse 1. Jesus calls here the disciples together and then sent them out on a preaching tour as part of their training. After some initial instruction about their approach and conduct, which we see there in verses 5 to 15, he warned them that they should expect persecution there in verses 16 through 25. Nevertheless, they should be fearless in the face of it. Because their mission was critical to the judgment of their persecutors. And also the Father had promised to protect and to watch over His servants. There in in verses 26 through 33. The proof that we are in a spiritual conflict is seen in these words. In Matthew 10 verses 34 to 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me and whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it so this war here is over the kingdom of god that he was introducing into the world through the coming of jesus christ A kingdom that would be in opposition to the kingdom already in the world. The the kingdom of the world. And that's the the whole idea of the persecution. We represent the kingdom of heaven. The world is operating under its own standards. They don't want the kingdom of heaven interfering with their kingdom. So they're going to fight against it. That's the problem. And sadly that was the jewish leadership of jesus day they were part of satan's kingdom you say what how do you know that well jesus own words they said god's our father and jesus said no god is not your father if god were your father you would receive me no your father is the devil and the lusts of your father you do he was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth. He's a liar and the father of it. And you are too. That's the problem here. They're the ones that put Jesus on the cross. Let the Romans do it, but they, did, but they were the ones behind it. So then this brings us to the second thing, the, the principal issue, which is the kingdom of God. when you know we we get we have this idea that jesus is just for seeing how many people he can get saved out of the world and uh uh, for himself no that's not that's not what it is all uh, all about now it involves that yes but the principal thing that the scriptures emphasize is the kingdom of god bringing the kingdom of god into the world could really spend some time on it but i just want to emphasize this one point this is the principal issue israel failed in this matter by failing to trust in yahweh and faithfully live out their covenant duties to god and then due to their failure god purposed to bring in the true israel jesus christ at the proper time he said now my time has come And he would then establish the kingdom of God in his first coming, fulfilling Psalm 2, where God says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And then perfecting that kingdom at his second coming, in which he will renovate the world and return it to its pristine glory in the first created order. Matthew 23 also confirms this judgment and condemnation of disobedient Israel. That was Jesus' last words before he went to the cross there recorded in Matthew uh, and where he rebukes these apostate leaders and he charged them with hypocrisy because though they claimed to revere the prophets, notice the prophets, Jesus told them that they were the children of those who had In former days refused to hear them, abused them, and even killed them. He said, you dress up their their sepulchers, but but if you were in their shoes, you'd be doing the same thing. So they would treat Jesus then and his followers in the same way. They treated the prophets. Thus Jesus said earlier in his sermon on the mount, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you and we saw that also there in his sermon on the plain then he concludes there in uh, matthew uh, chapter 23 back into chapter 23 he concluded his rebuke of the scribes and the pharisees with an interesting comment he said this is verse 32 chapter 23 3 verse 32 fill up then the measure of your fathers he's speaking to them complete it get her done if we <laughs> you use a uh, uh, jargon of the day he told them get her done what fill up the measure of your fathers what your father started complete it get it done and what was that mistreating God's prophets that was that generation now this generation what were they to do reject and kill the Son of God that's your business get her done he refers to them as a brood of vipers John the Baptist had called them a brood of vipers back there in Matthew chapter 3 verse 7 now Jesus uses the same terminology in verse 33 to speak of them you brood of vipers and for their for their treatment of them and then he said truly i say to you all these things that's verse 36 all these things the judgment due, will come upon this generation and it did 70 a d so the prophet john then was now experiencing this treatment. The rebuke of Jesus' generation was the subject of his message to the people after dismissing the disciples of John, which we will then discuss next week, here as part of this of, of this uh, whole section. But first I want, us, I want us to look at John's sending of the two messengers to ask Jesus to affirm his messianic deity. What was that all about? You know, John is very similar to us. He is a typical human being. Luke introduced the story here uh, in beginning with verse 18 here of John chapter 7 by noting that that the disciples had uh, heard, then came and reported to John all these things. Read that there in verse 18. And what is that? Refer to it refers here to the response of the people to Jesus raising the dead son of the widow of Nain. What do we read that concluding that it says, in verse 16 it says, Fear seized them all when they saw this. Oh, this crowd that came out uh, with the mother and saw Jesus raise this widow's dead son, fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people and this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country the whole of Judea and I think the idea here is to include all of Jewry it's not just Judah it's Jewry and all the surrounding country and the disciples of John reported these things to him. What we're hearing is the people are saying God has visited his people, a new prophet has, ar- has arisen. And so then John calls two of his disciples to him, and he Says you go to Jesus and ask are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now that's a strange question in light of the report that they have just given. You go ask Jesus are you truly the one? Remember John is the one God called to be his forerunner. To prepare his way. So now... He's uh, received this report here apparently with some skepticism. I've got some questions here about this. I don't understand. And why? I think it's because of John's situation. He's in prison. Verse 19, we have this curious inquiry. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So what provoked it? that miracle of the raising of that boy should have been enough to convince john and everybody else that this was jesus the promised messiah but john is scratching his head he's having some issues so now he's going to send disciples to find out what is going on some have suggested That the question was not John's. That the disciples themselves were the ones having the problem. And that John's faith was strong enough that it prevented him from surrendering to doubt. So rather than give this question for himself, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus so that Jesus could tell them, Yes, I am the true Messiah. To strengthen their faith i don't believe that's the case because jesus himself said you go tell john you go tell john what you have seen and heard there in verse 22. the question here is what was he expecting the result but that's the issue here see some kind of glorious result no The prophet had the wrong perspective and that was causing him to experience some doubt due to his present situation. Having been prepared of God for a dynamic ministry as the forerunner of Messiah and announcing the kingdom of God, he had expectations of seeing that kingdom come into reality with power and great glory. He, the Pharisees of the day, and even the disciples of Jesus, had expectations of a messianic kingdom in which messiah would come out of nowhere would throw out the romans would reestablish jerusalem as the capital of the world sit upon the seat of david throne there in jerusalem as the king of kings and it was not happening not only was it not happening But John was now taken out of action himself. He was in in a prison cell and was facing possible execution. Instead of great crowds coming to him, he was now isolated. And that left him despondent. Why was this happening to him? And what was going to happen next? Surely Jesus' power was greater than that of Herod's. And besides, if he were truly God's prophet, When was God going to intervene and vindicate him? So, that brings us to to his final days. John was languishing in prison because he confronted the Tetrarch Herod. We talked about this a little bit last week. Herod Antipas with his illegitimate marriage to Herodias. There in Mark chapter 6, verse 18. Herod's first response was to put John to death. He was angry. But he hesitated to do that. And why? Because he feared the people who recognized John to be a prophet. According to Matthew chapter 14, verse 6. And then he started listening to John. Took opportunity to listen to him. So Mark here reports John, Herod feared John. He not only feared the people, but now he feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe from Herodias. When he heard him, and then when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. He was, I think, convicted and conflicted. And yet he heard him gladly, the scripture says in Mark 6 and verse 20. But Herod failed to act upon this opportunity with repentance and faith. See that? I mean, he had every opportunity to to listen and to believe and to be saved. He rejected it. Now, Herodias, however, did not share the Tetrarch's hesitation. She wanted John dead. The opportunity came when Herod celebrated his birthday and give, gave a banquet here. For his nobles, his military commanders, and other leading men of Galilee. For entertainment, they had Herodias's daughter come in and dance for them. That pleased them all well. And so then Herod, desiring to reward her, asked her, said, Ask of me whatever you want, even to half of my kingdom, which seems a little excessive. <laughs> I didn't pay my prayer for her dancing. But, and so she said, well, let me talk to mom. <laughs> so she left the room and to confer with her mother. And her mom said, you tell him I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. So she went back in and told Herod. And he immediately sent word to have John executed and delivered the head of John the Baptist to Herodias' daughter on that platter. They're according to Mark 6. 22 to 29. Luke doesn't record anything of John's death. He doesn't even mention him again until the ninth chapter when Jesus asked some of his disciples who who the people thought John was. That's the famous passage there in which uh, uh, Jesus asked, wouldn't that, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, You're right, Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. But what did the people think? Some thought he was John the Baptist, some Elijah, some other prophet risen from the dead. Mark introduced his report of John's death by pointing out to the fact that after his death, as Jesus' ministry became more widely known, even Herod concluded that Jesus was John raised from the dead. So let's then close here with this compassionate response to John's predicament upon hearing the reports given of of Jesus miracles the disciples of John informed him about them and this prompted John to send two of his disciples to Jesus to ask are you the one who is to come or do we look for another John's expectations were not being realized and like Jesus own disciples he was expecting the kingdom to come with violence Jesus' compassionate response was to show John that his kingdom expectations were not those revealed in Scripture. Here's the problem, and here's our problem. Oftentimes we have expectations in reading the Scripture, and we don't read what the Scripture says. We read what we want the Scriptures to say. And the the fact is, which was clearly revealed in scripture including malachi's closing book judgment was about to fall on israel for their covenant violations it had to precede the establishment of the kingdom in its final glory and that would be consummated until the end of this present age what jesus came was to begin this age this age and then there's an age to come this age is the age of preparation the age to come it will be the final and inauguration of the kingdom in all its glory so his miracles then were the sole evidence at that early stage that jesus was the one promised not as being a warrior, but as being compassionate. What these miracles did was, in effect, they were reversing the curse placed on the old world. They were reversing the curse. So, we read here, He healed many. See, these the disciples came to him. They asked him. John, Jesus didn't say anything. He rather said, hey, come on with me. I'm going to show you something. And according to verse 21, in that hour, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, and on many who were blind be bestowed sight. Many. He's just going around there wholesale heal, healing them and not charging a dime like doctors (laughs) verse 21 after this then he turned to the john's disciples to show them that the miracles confirmed his messianic authority that's what the prophet isaiah said he would heal the sick and cause the blind to see and so forth he sent them away here with an interesting statement this is verse 23. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What does that mean? Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's an allusion to Isaiah 8, verses 14 and 15. Let me read that. He will become a sanctuary, a stone of offense, and a rock of stumbling both to, to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many will stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken and shall be snared and taken. What was he telling John? You're not one of them. You're blessed. You're a blessed one who is not offended by me. You're not going to be one who is caused to stumble by this rock of offense. And you shouldn't be either if you know Jesus. Jesus was aware that his message was difficult for some to accept, and since, especially since Jesus didn't fulfill all their messianic expectations of his day. He was still the Messiah. Now, let me conclude with two quick lessons. Number one. Beware of conclusions based on appearances that may blind you due to your faulty expectations. What do you want God to do for you? What do you expect that he will do for you? I've had to struggle with this myself. The story of John the Baptist illustrates this important truth. We must not draw conclusions based on appearances. Jesus taught that God's servants would appear to be weak and vulnerable to the world, our appearances as sheep amidst wolves. verse 16 However, in reality, we're warriors. Indeed, we're conquering and victorious. We should expect conflict and opposition. But we're more than conquerors through Christ, according to Romans 8, verse 37. Do you believe that? You say, I don't feel like one. Don't, don't look at yourself. Don't look at your circumstances. Look at the scriptures. Believe what God said. You may not see the victory, but you're in the middle of the battle. And one of these days, you will see it. We see the same kind of comparison over there in the book of Revelation. Here's the seven-sealed scroll there in the uh, fifth chapter of Revelation. Nobody's worthy, and John's crying his eyes out, said, No, how come nobody's worthy to open the scroll, the lucid seals? And one of the elders taps him on the shoulder and says, look at the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's worthy. And John says, where? And he looks over there. And what did he see? Not a lion. A slaughtered lamb. Verse 6. See, God gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Thus we, we are to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because we, do, we, we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven and 58. Secondly, Suffering, as designed by God, has a glorious purpose, will see its purpose realized in the full consummation of the kingdom. That's why Jesus said, Great is your reward in heaven, not now. The despair of John is typical of believers throughout history. Job illustrates this. God's own testimony of Job was that there was none like him on the earth, a blameless, upright man who feared God and turned away from evil. Job 1, verse 8. Initially, Job rightly responded to the tragedy of loss and pain into which he was cast. He said to his wife, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Job 1, 21 and 22. However, after a while, the prolonged suffering with no end in sight began to have its effects and questions began to plague him. Where was God in this? Why was he silent? Why was he doing nothing to relieve his, his predicament? And the author of Hebrews then addresses this condition of prolonged suffering as necessary to sanctification. And God did come to Job spoke to him personally but it was necessary for his sanctification and in this case it had to do with his friends too so no matter how difficult the situation God's grace is sufficient his strength is made perfect in our weakness believers must run then with endurance the race that God has put before them looking to jesus for strength and courage and this is what john needed and that's what we need and all who follow jesus for god is dealing with us as with sons amen let's pray father thank you for the word thank you for the opportunity to consider these truths today and may lord the truth of the word of god do its mighty work in us for the glory of jesus christ and for the advancement of the kingdom we praise you in jesus name amen